0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest introduced to you now. Ryan Talbot is an All-American decathlete for the Michigan State University Spartans. After several injuries and health issues, Ryan decided to try a carnivore diet when he was several months into his NCAA Division I season as a decathlete. He describes his experience as becoming a new athlete on a plant-free diet. On a carnivore diet, Ryan not only won the Big Ten Championship in the decathlon, but did so only six days after a hamstring injury that he thought might end his season. On a carnivore diet, his body recovered in time to win the Big Ten, break the Michigan State University record in the decathlon, earn All-American honors, and compete in the 2022 NCAA National Championship in Oregon. He was also a first-place finisher in the decathlon at the Jim Click Shootout in Tempe, Arizona on April 8, 2022. He looks forward to many years of success as a young athlete eating a plant-free diet. He recently appeared on the Plant-Free MD podcast with our former guest, Dr. Anthony Chafee, which you can check out on episode 261 of Balanced Body Radio. Ryan Talbot, what an honor it is to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. When it was time for you to decide to go to college, did you have much choice of where you wanted to go? You have a Spartan in your blood, my friend.
1: Yeah, um, I think, I, I don't know, it was never really a big, like, pushing factor, but I did enjoy Michigan State already because of the family ties, and I had been there a few times to watch a football game or two, and I, I liked the environment, and um, I think I was looking for a Division One college, and I knew that Michigan State had a good program for decathletes, at least, you know. Um, Tim Earhart and Nick Grant are both stud decathletes. And um, so I wanted I wanted to kind of follow in their footsteps a little. And also um, Nick Grant was still there in my freshman year, so I was able to train with him. So that was super cool.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And let's see, so so I read about your parents. So your mom was a heptathlete, is that right, at Michigan State, and your dad was a swimmer? Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. Did, did or Were there more generations of people that went to Michigan State University?
1: Um, so my, my grandma actually did, she went to uh, Michigan state and then also my great uncle, and he was actually on the football team and track team. Okay. So that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Well, we're just right there outside of Salt Lake City. So we're huge fans of the University of Utah. And we got the opportunity to play a home and home series in football against Michigan. And it felt great to beat him twice. Um, the best t-shirt I saw in the telegate yeah. lot that year after we beat him the first time and and when we were about to beat him the second time. I believe it was Jim Harbaugh's like very first game as a coach. Somebody had a shirt that said, let's make Michigan our bitch again. And I thought that was uh, that was pretty well done. <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah it was awesome all right man so tell me a little bit about um decathlon when did you become interested in this obviously your mom competed and in a very very similar event was it something you were always interested in doing
1: um i i first off was pole vaulting and i enjoyed pole vaulting but then i also enjoyed to sprint and i enjoyed to do the hurdles and I would long jump and high jump sometimes. And I even threw the shot put once and this was all back in high school. I really enjoyed all that stuff. And I was kind of bummed. I was like, Oh, I only can do one event, you know? And then my mom was like, well, actually like there's decathlon and it's like 10 events. I started like looking into it and it's like one of the coolest events because it's the hardest event, you know, and those guys are like made of different stuff. So that's, that's where I wanted to go.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, decathletes are literally called the best athletes in the world. And when you look at decathlon, the sport, what a crazy variety of things that you need to be able to do. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wow. So for somebody listening who's not very familiar with the decathlon, tell us a little bit about the event, what that looks like.
1: So it's two days and in between, like you go one event and then you have about 30 minutes to warm up for your next event and it's just on repeat. So you just go, 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 go. Um, some events, I know depending on like the track schedule, you might have like an hour or two in between, which is also tough because then you cool down and you have to rewarm up and then that takes even more energy. So it's, it's a very fine balance of, um, staying active and warmed up and as well as like not overusing energy And um, so like the first event is the 100 and then it goes into long jump, then shot put, then high jump. And then the first day ends with a 400. And then day two is um, the 110 hurdles, then discus, pole vault, javelin, and then a 1500 to end it.
0: Wow. Wow. That's crazy. So that was going to be one of my questions for you, actually, is how do they split up? I, I think they call them, it, you're either running, jumping, or throwing, basically, is how they kind of divide yeah. those things. Um, so, so they really kind of almost like alternate. It's not all like all the throwing stuff on one day and all the jumping stuff the next day. It's you're doing everything on both days.
1: Yeah. It's whoever invented it in that order is a genius, but it is perfectly placed to be so hard yet, like, It's it's manageable, but it's so hard. Wow. And if you look both days start off with a sprinting event where it's like the 100 or the 110 hurdles and both days end with a longer distance, but also just very cardio taxing event like the 400 and the 1500.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That 1500 must be absolutely brutal.
1: Uh, yeah, the thing is, though, we're not running as fast as the normal 1,500 runners. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's crazy. My favorite 1,500 story, you and I were talking offline, and when we were kind of talking about this, was Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson was a decathlete. His his school didn't even have a track, so when he went to the state championships, it was like a treat for him to actually run on a track. They would run on cement. They didn't have any of the throwing events, so his freshman year, they had to teach him like how to throw. <laughs> that wasn't a thing at mm-hmm. his school. He did really well his freshman year. He was runner-up the second year but hated the mile so he made a bet with his coach that if he built up enough lead for points that not only would he be able to sit out the 1500 but that his coach would buy him a, i think it was like a whopper with cheese and an orange soda and so it, it just so happened that his senior and and um junior years he watched the 1500 from the stands eating a cheeseburger and drinking an orange soda because he just crushed everybody that's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. So tell us a little bit about the point system. It's it's really interesting the way that you have points for all these different events. How how what's the system behind that?
1: Yeah, the easiest way to describe it there's like a weird equation for each event. It's pretty complex, but it's based off of how far you throw, how far you jump, or how fast you run. And there's usually pretty standard markers And for instance, like in the 100 meter dash, if you run like 10 seconds or whatever, you're going to get like over a thousand points. But if you're running 11 seconds, you're probably going to get closer to, I think, like 800 points. Mm. And everyone falls pretty much in between those. And um, so then each event is scored that specific way. And you're not trying to really go for place as much as you are trying to go for points. And, um, it's, it's all about making up point gaps to other people, I think too, because for me, pole vault is a really good event for me. And if I can jump like 50 centimeters higher than someone else, I'm going to score almost like 200 points on them compared to if they beat me by like 10 seconds in the 1500. They only score a hundred points on me. I see. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you want to do your best in every event, but if you had to choose events to be the worst in like the 1500, you're not going to lose as many points running 10 to 20 seconds slower than you would if you're running one second slower in the 100, like you would lose a, a lot of points.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So that can help you. I was going to ask you this actually, like, like everybody seems to have their strengths. Like somebody might be a very good thrower or a very good jump or whatever. Do you, do you try to play to your strengths or do you try to improve your weaknesses?
1: Um, I think like for training wise, I'm always trying to improve the weaknesses and like for sure, just make the strengths even stronger. But definitely when I'm in competition, it's like, I'm going to go through a discus and I'm like, okay, like, here we go. I know I can make up some points. I know I can like pass people if I get a good one out there, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I love the way that you describe the training, uh, versus the actual doing the event training. You want to work on those weaknesses, but when it comes to the event, you kind of play up your strengths or try to find those events where you can, you know, get big gaps and points on the other athletes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. So I've noticed just from like looking at the pictures and seeing people's like heights and weights, obviously everybody needs to be in very, very good shape, but like, Mm -hmm. is there any kind of specific like body type that you need to be? It seems like it can be all over the map.
1: Yeah. Um, there's actually some really cool like graphics online that show a height to weight ratio of like the last 10 years of um, like world champions and Olympic medalists for decathlon specific. And um, one thing you notice is that like most people are going to be around six foot or taller. And I think that height really plays into long jump, sprinting, high jump, you know, even throwing the discus. If you have longer arms, you're going to be throwing farther than someone with shorter arms and going to like the national meet. A lot of guys are over six foot. Okay. Like, yeah. A lot. Like, I don't even think I was the tallest guy there, and I'm six six.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then with the weight, weight wise, I think, based off your height, like if you're six foot, you should probably be below two hundred pounds. If you're like six four, you probably be fine to be around two hundred pounds or a little bit lighter, and um. I'm 6'6", I'm around 200 pounds. I think I would be fine if I went up to like 210 or 215, but like, it's not as important. It's not as big of a focus for
0: me right now. Yeah, I understand. Okay, so there's like a really tight window where you're kind of maximizing your strength and power, but you're also keeping your weight down low enough so that you can nail the jumps and, and you know, be quick running.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's all preference. It's everyone's body type is different. Like, even, um, so Kyle Garland is... Uh, another decathlete and he goes to Georgia and he's really good. He came in uh second place indoors in the nation and he scored a collegiate record as well, but he actually like will weight cut because he, he can bulk up like so well, he gets so strong that he needs to like lose a few pounds before his decathlons.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: And like me, me on the other hand, I like lift as much as I can and I'm like, not going to bulk up just like that's the physiology of my body. It, like is very comfortable at a specific weight.
0: Yeah. It's just kind of that long lean kind of body type where it's a, a kind of a hard gainer. It's harder to gain muscle. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, if you sure. didn't, if you didn't do decathlon, I mean, I know you already mentioned pole vaulting. Would you, would you like think you would thrive in jumping events in track and field or are there other sports you think you would have done really well with?
1: Oh man. Oh. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely would have vaulted if I didn't do the decathlon. I might have like dabbled in sprinting a little bit, but I think I definitely would have vaulted. I don't know what other sports I would have done. I have a really big hobby for just lifting in general. So I might have like gone down that path, but there was never, there wasn't another sport other than like, I mean, I would, I was doing like parkour, which I don't know if you consider a sport as much as like, a hobby kind of like skateboarding
0: i'd call it a sport <laughs> looks yeah, like a sport.
1: There's, there's a huge debate on that for some reason just because there's no like international like governing body for it but yeah i i used to do that a lot and i think that helped out with um pole vault just in general, and like having body awareness is like so key for a lot of things to track.
0: That's exactly the first phrase that came to my mind uh, as far as benefit would be body awareness, controlling your body in an, uh, you know, seemingly unstable environment and having the proprioception of understanding where your body is in space. I would imagine specifically for pole vaulting, but also things like hurdles that would be so critical.
1: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, uh, tell us a little bit about the difference between indoor and outdoor because indoor, I'm assuming you're not doing the throwing events. I, I don't see many people throwing yeah. javelins around <laughs> a gym that probably would not end well.
1: Yeah. So, um, the indoor, the track is only 200 meters or 300 meters and, that makes it pretty hard to do a lot of the sprinting events like the 100. So they shorten that down to the 60. So, and then also, like you said, they're not throwing javelin, they're not throwing discus, and um they take off the 400 as well at the end of day one. So now you go down to seven events, and it's the heptathlon for men indoors. And it starts off with the 60 hurdles and then. Long jump, shot put, high jump, and then day two is the sixty. Oh, did I say sixty hurdles for the first one? Yeah, it's sixty. The sixty dash 60 for sprint. the first okay. event, but then day two it's the sixty hurdles for the first event of day two, and then pole vault, and then a one thousand.
0: I see gotcha it's a thousand yeah. so yeah okay dude you you are totally forgiven for mixing up the order this is tough to keep keep track of even yeah. if you're doing it i'm sure um so yeah. shop put indoors how does that work
1: um same thing they just they just have um a ring indoors just usually concrete and um just a lot of space i guess <laughs> the the shop puts are a little different instead of being metal most of them have like plastic with sand in them and then they can be a bigger diameter so um a lot of guys like the bigger diameter balls better because you can get more behind them and more push wow um yeah i don't find too much of a difference but that's that's the big difference between indoor and outdoor Interesting. shot
0: and so being at you know plastic filled with sand it's not it's not going to like damage anything indoors
1: Yeah, and usually like you're, it's gonna land on like turf or just the track material, which is like pretty solid.
0: Yeah, interesting. How is it to run? Um, you know that the thousand meter on a two hundred meter track is it difficult in the corners?
1: Yeah, luckily I've only run the thousand on a three hundred meter track. Okay, but the the two hundred meter track, like even in training, it's like the corners are so so tight. It's like, especially me, I'm like super tall. I feel like I'm just leaning at some ungodly angle trying to like stay on the track. Totally.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. That's definitely what it sounds like. Another thing I find very interesting about this sport, um, not knowing much about it previously was like to hear really good decathletes talk about an event. They, it's almost like I heard this with short track speed skater. So we have, you know, we hosted the Olympics in 2002. So we've got, um, you know, the Olympic facility here, it's about 15 minutes away from my house. So I tried to pick up speed skating a little bit later in my life, which is not a good idea. Um, (laughs) but, but you listen to these Olympians who are medalists in the Olympics on short track skates saying that they've never done the perfect lap. And these guys do thousands and thousands and thousands of laps around the track and every little step, all 14 of the steps that they do to get around that track is perfectly measured. And to hear those guys with all that experience so successful saying they've never done a perfect lap. I hear the same thing in decathlon. It seems like there's always something that you can be doing better at or something you could have improved on.
1: Yeah. It's, it's always the focus is just constant, constant improvement. And like, yeah, I, 10 events over two days, like the chances of every single event going perfectly just it's it's not it's not heard of.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I could have done this just a little bit better. I could have done that just a little bit better. There's always something that you can kind of tweak or work on.
1: It keeps you coming back, which is good.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about how you periodize your training for a typical year. It it sounds like it's a very long season. I hear tons, and, and we can talk about this with you as well. I know this is something you've dealt with, but I've heard lots of injuries. Every decathlete seems to have injury stories of one kind or another. How do you manage your training load through the course of an entire year?
1: Yeah, so... Right now, I'm doing my coach's program, which is pretty much preseason during the fall. We're doing a lot more like get back into shape kind of training where we'll be lifting a little bit heavier, more volume. We'll be running, running hill workouts, not doing as much technique, but more focused on just getting the body back to feeling in shape. Then indoor season, which is during the winter we start focusing more on technique for sure and indoors you're not really able to train the javelin and the discus as much which is all right because they're not in indoor season so the focus is a lot more on shot put but you still get in like extra work where you're throwing a ball against a wall or like rubber shot, uh, rubber discus you can throw those inside pretty well um and then for like the running side of things it's a lot shorter distances um indoors so we're not going to as as much of a length so it's a lot more shorter workouts and usually we do like a 200 workout where you'll do like six sets of uh 200s at like i think like 28 pace and you have like 20 or you have 1 minute and 15 seconds rest in between each but then like when you move to outdoors that would change to doing like eight 200s with shorter rest
0: wow gotcha
1: just to try and get more of that cardio in for the 400 and the 1500.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So it's pretty similar to the way I would coach like an endurance athlete. In the beginning, I don't really care when somebody's like preseason or, you know, getting prep for the season. I don't really care so much about the specific event. We're just trying to build some general fitness principles. So if you're a, triathlon, yeah. a triathlete or a cyclist, your training program might look not look that different. But as you get closer and closer to the event, now you need to have that technique that you mentioned. Now you need to be a lot more specific to your specific specific event and that's where the more specific training comes in it sounds very similar
1: yeah and my coach is really good too about like when we we take so we pretty much are off of like doing any technical work for like a month and then when he starts to reintroduce it it's very basic stuff which is nice because you revisit your basics and you don't jump back into a full-on like explosive like if you're going to pole vault usually people go from like different steps depending on like which pole they're holding. And so like a four step jump, you're not going to jump as high as a six step jump. And so we'll start on four instead of going right to six.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So your and fundamentals yeah. are sound.
1: Yeah. It's, it's very helpful.
0: Oh, that's awesome. What do you do for recovery specifically? Not only after a hard workout, but after an entire season, what things are you really prioritizing as far as recovery?
1: Oh man. <laughs> so like obviously eating, the carnivore diet has been great for recovery um i stretch roll out use uh theragun stuff like that um right now because i'm out of season it's mostly just trying to take a break physically and mentally and i kind of go into different weird training styles that are not really typical because just i can't do them in season and it's bad to do one thing for too long. So I really switch it up in the summer and just do some weird stuff to kind of confuse my body and get it working in a different way. And I think like right now I'm really focused on like micro volume where I'm just gonna do a little bit of everything like every single day, maybe two or three times a day.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's great. Very smart. Um, I, I think you're right. I think we're getting more research, especially with like kids who only do like one sport or people that just do those repetitive movements all the time. They, the, the rate of injury is so much higher than people that are doing all kinds of general different things and mixing things up. So I think that's really yeah. smart.
1: I really see like a huge thing with, um, when I started Olympic lifting, cause I never had done that before. And then I got into the gym and I was Olympic lifting in college And like, I got way stronger because of it was like completely new movements. i would never done them before. And then like my progress improved really quickly. And I, I saw all these gains and then I reached a point where I was kind of plateauing. And then I actually started to feel like worse after like Olympic lifting days. And like, I kind of attribute that to diet as well, but I also like had to kind of come back from the Olympic lifting drop down the weight and focus a lot more on my form and my technique Mm. and then it started to like all my pain started to go away and i started actually performing better on the track using less weight in the gym
0: nice Great. Very smart. What a great adjustment. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. awesome. Okay. So I want to talk about the Big Ten Championship, but we can't really do that without setting the context. So let's maybe yeah. go back and talk about how you were eating previously, some of the injuries that you've experienced, how you even found out about the carnivore diet and and what things you kind of noticed, why you decided to try that.
1: So originally very early on in life. I found out that, or I guess my mom, when I was young, she found out that I was allergic to milk and it was mostly through like, Oh, he just drank a glass of milk and he threw up. Okay. He's probably allergic to milk, you know? Yeah. Um, and then as a kid, I was a little, I don't know. I I feel like I would get a little more sick easily, like maybe some allergies, I definitely had a temper as a child for some reason. <laughs> um, I was very like reactive to a lot of things. And so when I was about 10, I think I got um, an allergy panel done and found out that I was allergic to like everything almost. Wow! And I think my body was just in a hyperreactive state because of that. Um, so like I was allergic to like peanut butter and eggs and gluten and wheat and rye and milk. And so like everything except like rice and meat and like corn. (laughs) And so like, I cut out the gluten, I cut out the wheat and the bread. And like my mom said that she noticed, like, I was like not getting upset and not being like this little reactive kid who would like freak out and stuff like that. And, um, so like I had all these allergies and I think I was even allergic to like dust and pollen. And so I I had some allergy pills I would take every once in a while. Um, But like cutting all of those things out, like little did I know, I think gluten was like one of the biggest ones that cut out that made me feel really good. Wow. And then lived that way for until right before college. And then I was like, I want to get my allergy panel done again. To see, cause I know that it changes for some people. And so we did it again and everything was good, except that I think like the gluten was still bad. The milk was still bad. And so that was like pretty interesting that those things stayed the same, but like I, I was able to eat eggs again. I was able to eat peanut butter again, but I, I still, I still avoided peanut butter a little bit because it didn't make me feel the best. Yeah but i i reincorporated that stuff and then i went to college and i had been following all this like bodybuilding stuff that's like oh yeah eat your chicken and rice and broccoli and you'll get huge and i was like all right let's do it and so i was literally eating like chicken and rice every day with like a handful of spinach and then i would eat like a big bowl of oatmeal with some eggs in the morning and then usually like spaghetti in the evening something like that and I would try and do like three meals four meals maybe even like six meals sometimes just like I was eating as much as I could yeah trying to get as bulky as I could Wow! (laughs) and um yeah so like by sophomore year I was like eating that diet pretty consistently and then um I got an injury which ended my season and it was An ocd lesion in my ankle which is pretty much a piece of my cartilage just broke off Mm. and i just had to wait have my body fix that and i was i was feeling better by the end of summer but when i had that injury i the the medical staff gave me some ibuprofen and they said take it like three times a day and i had never really taken ibuprofen much as a kid
0: three times a day
1: Yeah. They said, just take it with meals. So yeah, I hadn't really taken ibuprofen much and I ended up taking like almost like 800 milligrams a day or something like that. And I did that for about a week. And then like my stomach was just in knots and I felt so bad from that. And then I continued. So I like got off ibuprofen. I continued to eat the same way I had been eating and I was still feeling like crap, and uh, like my energy levels felt low, and my like, it was just crazy. I would try every every time I would like wake up, I like didn't feel like eating breakfast. Then I would eat breakfast, and then I felt bad afterwards. And then I would eat lunch, and I felt bad after lunch, and it was just terrible. And so like slowly over time, that got a little bit better, but I definitely see now that like I was just I just tore up my intestines and didn't give them the proper healing they needed. And, um, so then junior year, which is the last season I was still eating the same way all throughout indoor season. And then towards the end of indoor season, I kind of stumbled upon the carnivore diet. And originally I had heard about it on Joe Rogan like years ago. And I was like, Oh, this guy's crazy. Was it
0: the Sean Baker episode?
1: Um I don't I I don't think it was an episode I didn't watch an episode I just remember someone saying like oh look Joe Rogan went carnivore and he I lost see. like this weight yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. like oh. okay That's weird but like I I had this false mindset that as an athlete like I could never do that because I need carbs to like work out and stuff and like that's so false now I can see it but back then and then um so then I like kind of saw another video it might have been another Joe Rogan video of just him talking like, oh yeah, like my alopecia went away. And I was like, oh wow, that's kind of interesting. And then, so I looked up some more videos about it. And then I just started seeing all these crazy success stories about people with like Crohn's disease and the alopecia going away and people who like were losing so much weight and just turning their lives around. And it was just so interesting to me that I was like, I just like, I just had to try it, but I was super worried that like trying it right at the end of my season, right before indoor big tens in like the indoor conference meet, I was not about to switch my whole diet around. So I did cut out the processed carbs and the grains. And I went strictly to like meat and fruit. And then I, I had, um, some goat cheese because I can, I like knew that goat cheese was fine, but like cow's milk wasn't. So like, that was, that was my diet through the indoor season, like from just like, just pretty much the last, the conference meet. And, um, it's really funny. Like I didn't realize it then, but I was like kind of almost going through a keto flu. (laughs) So, um, Yeah, it would have been good to wait, I think, just a little bit longer.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to ask how the adaptation period went for you.
1: Yeah, so really interesting. Like I had the fruit, and I didn't really go through any keto flu or anything like that because I was still eating fruit. And then I dropped the fruit, and I kept the cheese, though. And then I found myself just gorging on cheese because I was like, Oh, this is so good. Like so hungry, you know, my body's still trying to like take up all the sugar it can. So it's just taking like the lactose and like turning that into glucose. And then I cut out the cheese and then like, bam, the next day my body's going through like this keto flu. And it it only took me about like, I'd say like three days to a week to get through it. But then like, after I did, I felt amazing. It was crazy. <laughs>
0: Wow, so you feeling amazing? I'm I'm sure. Like one of the really consistent things we hear when when people start with carnivore is yeah, they they there is an adaptation period. You're gonna feel crappy for a little while, but the gut seems to be one of the first things that really improves. Is that something you noticed as well?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I like stopped having all these like gut issues and this like indigestion and just bloating and that like insulin hangover that you get where you just feel like you need to lay down It's the worst
0: oh it's the worst yeah yeah Yeah. wow what about your performance when did you start to notice that the carnivore diet was impacting your performance
1: so i think originally when i was just when i just started doing fruit i felt a little bit of a performance bump and i think that's just because i cut my carbs from like some ungodly number to (laughs) just like maybe like a hundred grams of like fruit carbs a day. And so I was feeling a lot better then. And then going like no carb. Um, it, like I said, it took that like first week before I started feeling a lot better. And then I was like noticing that like, Oh man, like I don't really need to eat that much before practice. And my body's like performing like crazy because It would always be like, okay, I got to make sure I eat lunch before practice or else I'm not going to perform well at practice. Now, on the other hand, it's like, I don't want to eat like four hours before I work out because I know that when my body is a little bit more hungry, I'm going to be burning more fat. I'm going to have more energy. I'm going to feel better during the workout.
0: Yeah, that's right. That was one of the biggest surprising things for me. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Like when you're hungry, it's time to go hunt. Like like you want to have that kind of hunger energy there. And Uh, the same thing. Like when I would go out on like a training ride for like two or three hours, it's like you gotta you know make sure you have the oatmeal and the banana before you go. You gotta stuff your jersey pocket with all kinds of like sugar alternatives. And now it's like I don't even think about it. You just go. It's (laughs) so much better. You have that energy that's already Uh, coming stored from your body that you can use at any time
1: yeah yeah i've I've recently started doing a lot more with like fasting and like the benefits of that have like it's it's just huge and i think especially it's not even like you have to fast it's just like be a little bit hungry when you work out when you compete whatever your body is going to go into this fight or flight mode of like i need to go get some food or i'm going to die yep. And you're gonna do everything with more intensity. It's gonna be so much better for you. Yeah. And also, like, I think like with fasting, like your growth hormone is increased, your um, like insulin sensitivity is increased, your testosterone's increased. You get more cortisol, but that's because your body's trying to mobilize more fat. Yeah. And if you mobilize more fat, you're gonna have more energy. So like, there's there's like so many benefits to it, you
0: yeah. know. No, that's awesome. That's very well explained. And you know, when I first started carnivore, I would have thought for sure, like this is going to help me with endurance things, but I Mm -hmm. didn't appreciate as much how much it does help you for explosive movements and it helps you for strength. Those two things got way better in a fasted state when you're not eating the carbohydrates.
1: Like crazy. I mean, you're getting the creatine obviously, which is like a huge conversation point where everyone like you're getting more creatine. So that's going to help your muscles get that explosive force. Then I also like to talk about, like you get that strength to weight ratio where your strength is increasing. You lose that like body sludge and that water retention that carbs have. So like I lost like around like 10 pounds, but like my muscles stayed and I actually gained strength. And so you're going to increase your speed in that short distance if you're weighing less. And, um, and then also I think like recently, Sean Baker was talking about this, like the blood, the blood sugar is like elevated in trained athletes specifically, like because it knows you're going to go sprint. So it's going to elevate the blood sugar before you sprint and then it's already there to be used so you don't need to load with carbs in the first place
0: that's right that's right no very well explained the process of gluconeogenesis is the process of your body making exactly the right amount of blood glucose that you need at any given time it's it it knows exactly how much to make there's nothing wasted it's such a great thing and so many people think like oh like gluconeogenesis i'm going to be burning through muscle and it's like no your body can find other sources you don't lose muscle doing this
1: yeah And like, there's a thing like protein sparing
0: is a very real thing.
1: And your body does not want to get rid of muscle. It takes a lot of energy to build muscle. Your body's not going to go through that process just to destroy it the next day.
0: Yep. Yeah, very good point. I'll compare this again to short track speed skating. I notice this a lot. You know, you're doing, uh, you know, a short track speed skating event. You will skate, then you'll sit for an hour, two hours until your next heat. They have to make the ice all the time, and so mm-hmm. watching watching these athletes go through this meet, you see them and that the, these tables spread with all of their snacks and Gatorades and granola bars and all of that stuff. And I remember needing that stuff all the time, and and I'm sure you see a lot of that. In your events themselves. Tell us how event day specifically was better for you on carnivore and compare it to how it was before or maybe other athletes that you see around you.
1: Yeah. So, like, for example, when I was indoor season competing in the heptathlon and I was still eating carbohydrates, I would eat like um like a cliff bar or I would just carry around a jug of applesauce and like constantly be drinking that there's also those like hammer energy gels that is just like oh, multi-dextrose yeah. yeah yeah you know those <laughs> I sure do <laughs> so you'd like try and like pop that in before you run the thousand and you're just like so worried about micromanaging like all this like oh like I don't want to eat too much and I don't want to eat too little and like there's just this huge battle with that and And it's, it's like, even like if you eat too much and you get too much insulin release, you're going to get inflammation during the event. You don't want inflammation during the event because that's where like, you're going to get injured or you're going to get fatigued,
0: you
1: know? And that's a big thing I noticed when I went carnivore is like on meat days, I would wake up and I would drink like four raw eggs (laughs) and that would be like my breakfast. And then I'd wait like four or five hours and then go run. And I had an empty stomach. I felt a little hungry which made me kind of a little more like motivated and aggressive and then you're running and your body is protecting itself because if you're like like we said like with like the hunter gatherer like if you don't have food your body is going to prevent you from getting injured because if you get injured you can't get food and so like i that was one thing like i just felt like i got less fatigue when i was just eating carnivore and not eating food in between every single event.
0: Wow.
1: And I felt like way fresher each day. And then even like the day after of um, like competition, I felt really good instead of feeling like sore and like, a little burnt out.
0: Cause you definitely would, right? Like if you're going into that second day, you've already done five really tough events or uh, four if you're doing indoor, That that next day has gotta be pretty rough getting up. I, I assume soreness yeah. is pretty common with a lot of those athletes. And you notice that was way less.
1: Yeah, that's like a whole aspect of the decathlon itself is like in between day 1 and day 2 what you do is going to greatly affect your performance the next day. And so like if you're just going to pound a bunch of sugar and go to bed and like you're going to wake up sore and I I have done that so many times where like during a heptathlon you do only four events not five events. So I did four events and then I ate all this food and the sugar and stuff like that. Like try to stretch a little bit, take a nice bath, whatever, go to bed, wake up the next morning. And I'm like, I'm so sore. And I only did four events. Right. And it's, it's like, you're, you're like dreading to do the next three, the decathlon on the other hand, I did five events and like the 400 is one of the hardest events. Brutal. And I I went to sleep after like I I just went to Texas Roadhouse and I smashed like a huge steak, went to bed and woke up feeling refreshed. Wow. Which was like crazy. And then like you feel better. It's gonna be better for your mental game. It's gonna be amazing for your physical game. You're just gonna compete better.
0: Yeah, totally agree. You already just mentioned sleep, and I think we've been doing better research around low-carbohydrate diets and sleep, specifically Ambro Hearn is just such a boss doing this kind of research on sleep. Did you notice um, either that your sleep quality was better or also one that I hear quite a bit is like my sleep time is less. I can sleep Mm -hmm. less, but I feel better. The quality is so much better that I I don't necessarily need to get nine hours. I feel great after six. Is that something you noticed as well?
1: Yeah, for sure. It's, that was like one thing I was, I was really like worried about at the start because I was only sleep. Like I usually sleep like eight hours and then like, I started like sleeping for six hours and I would like wake up and feel fine. And I was like, Oh no, I only got six hours. And it's like, mentally I'm like, uh Oh, but then like physically I was like, I really feel fine. I feel like I have a lot of energy. Yeah. Like it was kind of strange. And I think like, my body's like becoming more adapted to the carnivore diet and I'm like, my sleep is definitely improved. Right. It was a little shaky at the start, but like, I still would find that, like, I don't need that much sleep. Yeah, And like, it was really interesting after the gym click invitational, uh, which was the decathlon. So we did the whole decathlon and then went to sleep and only got three hours of sleep and then had to wake up and go to a plane to fly home and when I woke up after that three hours of sleep, I actually felt really good. And I was like, I feel like I could compete again if I had to. Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so consistent with every, you know, the people we talk about and having that performance and the recovery the next day, like crushing yourself in a workout. It was really funny to hear, um, Dr. Chafee interview you and talk about your performance and he got going on his performance. You could tell he was, he was getting super, super amped up and like really excited and talking about like doing multiple <laughs> rugby, you know, days back to back to back to back. He was, he was pretty jazzed. It was great.
1: Yeah. I can tell he hasn't been in the gym in a while. Yeah,
0: he totally. Said... I'm
1: too excited about
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Pent up energy. So funny. So uh travel. Uh this can be a challenge for some people on a carnivore diet. When you're out traveling, oh, yeah. what what kind of hacks have you found to be able to stay on the diet?
1: So originally I would just like cook myself meat and just throw it in like a plastic bag and throw that in a cooler and bring it with me, which is Pretty basic and you can do that a carton of eggs is pretty easy to carry too and like i i do raw eggs all the time because it's no big deal savage Um, (laughs) yeah sardines are great they're packable um i like and also then i recently like got introduced to pemmican and so like i've been making pemmican and that's really helpful um but yeah most of the time it's like if we're gonna just like one day of travel, I'll just eat like a huge breakfast and then not eat anything till dinner because like I can do that on the carnivore diet. Like I don't need to worry.
0: Perfect. Yeah. That's, that's great. Tell us a little bit about pemmican. How do you make that?
1: So, um, usually people smoke meat or you can use a dehydrator. I use the dehydrator. Um, I just take like a really cheap cut of meat, like a chuck and, or, I think a top round is better just because it's a little more lean and you slice the meat thin, um, dehydrate it until it's like super crispy and you just break it up and you can use like a grinder or anything to crush it into a little powder. And then you take that meat powder and you mix it with rendered fat. And I do about 50, 50 mix and you just get this bar. It looks like a brownie, but It's better for you.
0: (laughs) That's great. I love that. Wow. That's super easy. And it sounds delicious.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you can you can add like salt too. And I've I've seen people add like dried fruit to it as well, but like I'm not, I'm not really doing the fruit that much. So
0: nice. Yeah, that's great. And you do feel better without the fruit. That seems to be a bit of a contentious point for people in the carnivore world right now.
1: Yeah, it's um, I don't know. In my opinion, I look at it as your body is going to make everything that it needs from the protein and fat and i find that my i just feel like i have more energy you get more of that like ketogenic state when you're just keeping your carbs to zero and um i think fruit just jacks up my insulin a little too much where I can do it if I'm not like working out or anything like that. And like, I'll feel fine if I'm doing like very minimal activity, but like when I'm in the middle of my season and I'm going hard every day and I got to do some, like a hurdle day, like the next day, I'm not going to eat fruit beforehand because that could jack up my insulin and cause a little extra inflammation that I don't want to carry into the next day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, go ahead
1: that was an interesting thing I noticed is that like I had some honey and then my hamstring started to hurt. And I think like, I might've had some like micro trauma in my hamstring that my body was just not like, not producing too much like uh, inflammation. So like, I was still able to move and do good things. But then like, as soon as I ate that honey, I got a lot of inflammation and then I got my hamstring was like aching. And then I was like, Oh man, like, that's not good. I don't, I don't want to be sore, you know?
0: Yeah. Interesting. I mean, we're, we're at the time of the year here where fruit is going to become a little bit more seasonal. There's a few trees Mm. in my neighborhood, not many, but there's a few like plum trees and pear trees. And last year, you know, if one fell on the ground as I was like on a walk or something, I would pick it up and eat it. And it was like, it was good. It was fine. But you just, I get so hungry afterwards. It's almost like you have yeah. to look at it and be like, what am I really truly getting out of this? Maybe a few seconds of a really nice kind of a sweet taste, but like uh-huh. to trade that, to be really hungry in 30 minutes and need more food, it's like <laughs> it's probably better just to bypass it.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too. Like, I feel like my body is pretty sensitive to a lot of uh, sugars because even like with cheese or uh, yogurt, I find that like I will get more hungry if I eat it, mm. which it's that's a huge benefit. Like depending on your goals, if yeah. you're an athlete who's trying to bulk up, I would say like you should drink as much milk as you can. You should be eating cheese with every meal. Like it's gonna help you bulk. Yeah. But like when I'm in season, I'm trying to stay lean and trying to stay fast. Like yeah. I'm probably not gonna do it, but I do enjoy having cheese every once in a while because you just get so much of that like sympathetic, or you get that like parasympathetic reaction. You just feel like very relaxed afterwards and more hungry.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And then it's like you said, like consider your goals, consider what you're after. And that can make that decision for you. Um, I'm curious as you were changing your diet, was anybody around you like either family members or teammates or anything like kind of getting curious, obviously your performance is very, very high. You're getting a lot of attention Were people starting to kind of like, what, what's this dude doing? And you know, were they starting to, uncover that you were doing carnivore
1: um yeah it was interesting um I didn't want to tell anybody at first because I didn't want anyone to shut me down immediately you know um because like I feel like as a coach if your athlete comes to you and is like oh yeah I'm like disregarding all like common knowledge that has been put out there and I'm just going to try some random thing (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so like I, I I talked to my dad a lot about it and it's super awesome because he was a cyclist as well. And, um, he did a little bit of like performance stuff and so he was really big on all that. And so I, I told him about it and he was like, I don't know, he did a whole bunch of research. I I've been doing a whole bunch of research at this point. And so I was like trying to tell him all this stuff and eventually he was like, I think you can go for it, like give it a shot or whatever. And so I tried it. And then like, once I was a few weeks in probably close to a month, I was like, okay, dad, you have to get on it now. Like I'm not even giving you a choice. And so like he got on it and then he like loved it too. And so he's been feeling great on it, but um, yeah, he was like the only person I was talking to about it. And then, eventually I like started to talk more about it because I was like, okay, like I'm performing well and like, everything's going good. And then, um, yeah, I feel like there wasn't really any issues that I had. Um, there was like, my coach wanted me to have a meeting with the nutritionist at our school and thank God she was like accepting of it. And she was like, just super interested. And she wow. knew that like, it was already going through, like I had already done so much on it that she was like, Hey, it's working for you. Like there's no need for you to stop.
0: That's awesome. Wow. I love hearing that this, this, you know, next generation, the younger people that have more access to this kind of information with like podcasts and the internet, they can do more research. And maybe that's the only way we get this paradigm changed of like the food pyramids and the, my plates and all this stuff is the younger generation that's willing to explore and, you know, find this stuff out for themselves. That's great.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's just like, it's just like, if you're willing you're willing to do anything you can to achieve what you want. Like you're going to find the best way to do it. And like, I think you just got to keep looking.
0: Yep. agree. I think that's great. So tell us a little bit about the big 10 meet. How did that day go for you? Those two days?
1: Yeah. So, um, first off I want to say the, the gym click meet, which was the first decathlon of the year is the one that I got the hamstring injury before.
0: Oh, I see. So So we goofed that up in the introduction. yeah. Yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah. So, I I got for, for that, I'll just be brief, but I had a hamstring injury and this was really frustrating for me because sophomore year I was supposed to do two decathlons and I had um, an injury before the first. So I didn't, I didn't make that one. And then the conference decathlon of my sophomore year, I had a hamstring injury. And so I wasn't able to do that one either. And so that was really frustrating for me. And then junior year, I get this injury that's about 10 days out from competition and i'm i'm just like devastated i'm super upset because like it's it's just happened to me again and like um me thinking back i think i had tried to incorporate honey or no 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 i ate just a huge meal right before practice and then so my body was kind of like parasympathetic and or, or yeah it was just like in this like relaxed state and then i competed. And then like my hamstring got like super sore from that. Mm. Um, So I had this like minor hamstring strain. I couldn't really walk without pain. And I was like, I was devastated. And then I continued to try and recover it though, with this mindset of like, I'm not making it to the meat. And um, I just ate a whole bunch of steak because I was like, I need to get some connective tissue. So I bought Chuck, which is like the chewiest cut, you know? It's yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was eating a whole bunch of Chuck steak and I think slowly, like my ham or not slowly compared to most hamstring strains, but like it recovered really quickly and like, it still was sore the day before we had to leave on the plane. And my coach was like, why don't you just come and just see what you can do and like, just come for the experience. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And then like, it was feeling a lot better in the practices leading up to it. And I was like, still not running at a hundred percent, but I was still like, okay, right, like we'll give it a shot. And we wrapped it up super tight. Um, and then I competed and like, it literally felt like a hundred percent. It was insane.
0: That's amazing. Wow. And you ended up winning that meet.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <So> <laughs> which is cool. was, was awesome. You so almost cool. didn't even go.
1: Yeah, I know. That's, it was, it was crazy. That's amazing. Um, but then yeah, big tens comes and I think like, it was a, the same thing. It was just like eating, trying to eat as much meat as I could leading up to it. And funny thing is the week before big tens, I did a dry fast where I like didn't drink any water or eat anything for 24 hours. And, um, I think it like kind of detoxed my body and also like a little bit of the hormesis, but I felt like primed and ready to go wow. by the time. Yeah. And like, I, I did it super safe where I was like, I did it on a day that I wasn't really doing a hard workout and I knew that I would be able to recover from it. And like, I wasn't, I wasn't too worried about it. Um, But yeah. And then we went to big tens and everything just worked out. Well,
0: that's amazing. What, what event did you know you kind of had it in the bag or had enough a point accumulation that you were like, wow, I'm, I'm going to do this.
1: I think it was, um, like the pole vault is the make or break point for a lot of decathletes and it made it for the decathlon and big kinds, but it broke it for the decathlon and NCAA finals. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I I was really nervous going into pole vault and I almost no heighted in pole vault actually for the, my first jump. Cause I started at four meters 60 and I, I made it on my third attempt, which is you only had three attempts oh, wow. per board. Wow. So yeah, I missed my first two attempts, crushed it on my third. And then we just moved up from there. And then I jumped like, I think I only really needed to jump like four sixty or higher and like it was like a guarantee win. But then I like ended up jumping five twenty, which is wow. I think seventeen feet. And um that that really put me in the running for the school record.
0: That's amazing. Is that the one I saw that you were like, as soon as you cleared it, you were like, yes,
1: (laughs) probably. I feel like I do that on almost everyone (laughs) because it just feels so good. to pull
0: That's amazing. I mean, I, yeah, I've never tried it. I will never try it, but like the feeling of like running up to something that you're going to jam a stick into and just go flying through the air is like, that's got to be a little, um, you got to respect it. I would say,
1: Yeah, you have to have some crazy level of trust in the pole and you have to uh, like have so much confidence in yourself too. like go like there's so much that goes into like the mental side of pole vault. You see so many people with all these like rituals that they do and it's like very specific every time everything's the same. Like just the way you walk up to the runway, the way you're holding the pole before you jump, like all of that is very finite. To make you feel comfortable, make you feel confident, and like kind of put you in that rhythm that you always are in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, almost like a free throw shooter doing the exact same thing before a free throw exactly. or something. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So but like I think with pole vault, it's just like there's so much risk.
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Wow. Um the other thing that really struck me is watching all the athletes, it seems like even though they're your competition, it seems like there's somewhat of a camaraderie there. Like it's not you don't really seem like you're going out to like crush each other. It's almost like you more kind of like versus the event versus like the other people. Is did I did I get that right?
1: Yeah, for sure. It's, it's really you against yourself on the decathlon and like, obviously you're going to compete against the guys to try and be the best, but everybody knows how hard it is and how much it hurts. And so like, why, why, why you got to be mean to your competitors too. Like you might as well like be friends and go through the pain together.
0: It's definitely what it seemed like. And then just from the pictures, like if I had to choose any school to represent the one that has the Spartan on the front, like that is so badass. throwing a javelin as a Spartan must feel like the coolest (laughs) thing ever.
1: Yeah. Spartan warriors are definitely a huge inspiration. Like that warrior mindset going into a decathlon, like you got to have a little bit of that.
0: Hell yeah. And
1: also, like... I don't know. Spartan warriors probably were pretty carnivore back then. (laughs) That's right.
0: Yeah, that's right. No, you're absolutely right. Listening to the history. If you ever get a chance, by the way, the book, um, road to Sparta by ultra marathon runner, um, Dean Carnassus tells a little bit of the story of how that actually went down. And it's really amazing. Great book. If you ever need a a book to read, really awesome. Awesome. Yeah. dude. Well, this has been such an amazing conversation. I do want to ask, like, what do you see in your future? I mean, I noticed that a lot of decathletes, there's not like a, consistent age where they peak. It's not like, you know, you're 20 and everything's kind of downhill from there. You can compete at really high levels at, at, you know, longer ages. So what do you, what do you foresee in the future? And do you ever see yourself doing anything different with your diet?
1: Yeah. Um, I think for the decathlon, I, I just want to keep doing it for as long as I can. And I think that's one thing really cool about the carnivore diet is like, you see the longevity of it and you see how much it can help people who like stop being athletes and then start being athletes again, you know, like imagine how much it's going to help the athlete who never stops.
0: Yeah.
1: And um. so, yeah, I think I'm just going to keep going, keep doing as much as I can. There's always room for improvement in the diet. And I think that I'll just keep focusing on more stuff and, keep experimenting. I think and you never want to like get into some rhythm of thinking that you got everything perfect or else you're going to start to stagnate.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Innovate or die. You got to keep, you know, moving forward or the stagnation is, you know, downhill decline. So I love that approach and very much looking forward to seeing what you're going to be able to do in the future.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Absolutely. Well, tell our audience where people can go to find you and connect with you um, if they want to follow you.
1: I'm on Instagram, and it's underscore Ryan underscore Talbot underscore, and yeah, pretty easy. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a YouTube. Maybe I should start one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I'm on. I did a podcast with Dr. Chafee. You can check that out. Awesome. And yeah, just look for me in the in the news. I guess. Absolutely. I can feel
0: this going. Uh, that's awesome. We will definitely be following your career. It's really cool when we're interviewing, you know, some of the top experts. You know, we've had Baker on the show. We've had, you know, Ambrose Hearn and all these people that have dug into the research. And you doing it and and seeing the results yourself and also being very smart with it, I think is, is an awesome way to show people that this can be done this can be done at the highest levels of competition and to see that it's helping you with your injuries with your recovery with your actual performance is is quite amazing and it's definitely consistent with what i've seen but I i just think it's an amazing example and something that can really help people so really appreciative of you and all the work that you've done to get to where you are and like i said we'll be watching you in the future and thank you so very much for taking the time to come on our show today we really appreciate it
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I I love sharing all this news. And I think the biggest thing is like me, who is someone who's just looking on YouTube and Instagram and researching everything I can to try and improve my nutrition and my athleticism as an athlete, like, I wish that people would be sharing more of their stories and more of their success and explaining how they were so successful at a specific thing, Yeah, you know? So I'm, I'm just out here trying to do it for the the next generation.
0: Yeah. That's really amazing. So on that note, I do hope that you start maybe a YouTube channel so you can document a little (laughs) bit more of your progress. It'd be cool to see different videos of like what a day in the life looks like for practice and also for competition. That might be pretty cool to start, dude.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I should, I should get on that. <laughs> you
0: should get on that. That would be really cool. Well, either way, yeah, we're just so grateful for um, you and for all the work that you've done and for being able to share that message here with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form, very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We're also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Boundless body radio premium podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to boundless body radio.